Man, I am, I'm bitter because I've done that five times and that's the last one. Do y'all have any friends you can go get to come and hang with me at three and do that again? Man, that is just a blessing. Let me thank God with you. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can just stand here and just say that you are our salvation. You have saved us, not according to deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to your mercy. And now that mercy is our song. By the washing of the power of the resurrection, the regeneration that your spirit produces, and by the renewing of your spirit. Father, we pray that you would renew us today, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would teach us things that are true wherever we're at. I, I pray just for my friends that are here who don't really understand why we sing the way we just did. I pray that something would happen today where they would just gain a clarity about this, the, the story anchored in history that we got a chance just to tell through song. I pray you'd tell it again through your word and they would understand more of why we sing, not just chorally like this, but why our lives sing, that mercy is our song and it changes the way we live. Would you produce that? Lord, let us not be a church that gathers and walks out of here and goes right back to our dead living. May we be people who carry the power of the resurrection out and it changes our families and our communities and our world. Lord, just teach us, remind us now who you want us to be and just draw us to you if we don't know. Be glorified as we listen to your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, guys. I'm not kidding you, man. I, I just, I, I, I hate 11:15 service Sunday morning on Easter because I don't get to do another one for a while. And it's just so, such a blessing. Thank you for friends that are sitting out there in, that, um, in the town center so that the rest of us could gather in here. And um, it's such a privilege, such a privilege to talk about this story. I mean, this story that helps us make sense of the world we're living in. Let me just start by saying this. This world doesn't make a lot of sense. We say we've got a God that is good. He's the God of our salvation. And this world's jacked up, right? It's jacked up. And um, we don't have to pretend that it's not because our God explains why the world is the way that it is. I mean, some people say to me, Todd, if God is good, he would do something about evil. And if God was powerful, he could do something about evil. And so evil still exists, therefore God is either not good or God's not powerful. That's the way the syllogism goes, except it doesn't consider everything. It doesn't consider the fact that God explains why evil is here. And he tells us it's here because we don't think God is good. And so we leave him and we go our own way. And when we go our own way, apart from the God who is life-giving, we bring forth death. Do you think the world is broken? We do. And so does God. And that's why he's done something about it. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. God's saying, hey, listen, it's April 21st, 2019. That date means something. It means that there was a January 1st when it started to become the year of our Lord, when God did something about the brokenness in the world. Some people just call it a common era, but they're ignoring the fact that something very uncommon happened, that a man came and lived among us. This isn't just the eyewitness accounts of those that have been preserved in what we call the Bible, which, by the way, is not a collection of stories or philosophies. It is a book anchored in the context of history, where God dares to show you how he has been working inside the framework of humanity. It's not just poetry or ideas or philosophy. It's history with God working in it. 
And God worked in it uniquely in the person of a man named Jesus that that many non-biblical eyewitnesses and early historians acknowledge existed. In fact, so much so that people who study ancient history would say that there is no event in ancient history that is as verifiable that it happened as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And don't you think that's kind of the way it should be? If there is a God and he does love us and he wanted to kind of go, hey guys, this one's different, pay attention here. Don't you think he wouldn't have just made him a great teacher, a person of great influence? Don't you think he would have said, note, if you don't believe his words, follow his works. And if you don't like his works, watch this one work because he's gonna be the only guy that shatters this thing called death. And the statistics for death are rather impressive if you haven't looked. Statisticians have studied this recently and they've noticed that for every one person born, there's a corresponding person that dies. It's like one for you know, eight billion or however many people have been on earth up to this moment except for this one guy. Because he wasn't just a guy. He said he was very God of very God. There's a guy like me who came to understand that story and he wanted to tell as many people as he could about it. So he traveled around. He didn't just hang out in one place and share it with friends. He went all across Asia and he went across uh, the Aegean Sea and he hung out in Greece for a while. He came across a historical town that's still there today called Corinth. His name was Paul. He actually wrote several letters we know from history to this town, probably four, but um, two of them have been preserved for us and it's called 2 Corinthians. If you're president, you call it 2 Corinthians. And so in 2 Corinthians, um, Paul says this, he says, therefore, and he says that because earlier in his letter, he basically wrote the story that we just sang, that God has done something about the jacked up world that you're in. He's done something about the brokenness of humanity. He has made a way for broken humanity to move back into relationship with him. And God loves you folks. He's not angry. He just wants to restore you and bring you out of this darkness and this death. And so Paul said to those friends, therefore, in light of your understanding this and and believing it, he said, therefore, since you now have this ministry, as we receive mercy, make mercy your song. And don't lose heart. Grieve for sure, but don't grieve as those who have no hope, he wrote a little bit later to folks north of there in Thessalonica. Because you know something now. See, this world um, has got some real pain in it, right? And and you you still have to watch yourself, though, when you use certain words and certain language because we say things like this, like, man, this is hell on earth. You ever said that? Right? This is hell on earth. Or sometimes you maybe say the corresponding opposite, which is, man, this is a little bit of heaven. This is the world the way it should be. This is heaven on earth. Well, let me just tell you something. Hell on earth and heaven on earth is just a Photoshop image of the real thing. Now, I purposely grabbed... um, in a minute, just some Photoshop pictures uh, of heaven on earth, but we don't have to um, Photoshop anything about hell. And I'll say this to you in just a moment, but even these, these images that are real about the hell on earth we experience, they're really just a Photoshop image of hell, and I'll explain why. But there's some hell that can make you lose heart. Right, hunger, poverty, right? It's a little hell on earth. Kids die, malnourished, war, that's hell on earth. About 20 some odd years ago, um, Central Africa, a whole nation, kind of went to war against itself for no other reason except just um, hate and, 
in 100 days, almost a million Rwandans lost their life, literally physically at the hands of other Rwandans. Newsweek covered this and said, hell on earth. Fast forward 20 years, you got the um, ISIS caliphate and the corrupt understanding of God that has brought about a different kind of hell. National Geographic says this is hell on earth. What's happening there in um, Asia and specifically centered in Syria, that's hell on earth. You didn't have to um, look long if you just open up your paper today or turned your phone on, you would see there's a different kind of hell in Sri Lanka this morning. Over 200 people have lost their lives. Hundreds more have been injured while terrorists continue to try and intimidate people into silence by unleashing a little bit of hell. But these are just shadows of hell, right? Because there are a lot of malnourished people, but there are also folks that do what they can to feed them. There's, there's hunger programs. The nations move to do what we can and to care for one another. There is, there's a means through which we can combat temporary hunger, and it's a problem, and we need to go after it. You, you know in war, there's nations that rise up against tyrants and people that are, are murderous towards their folks, and they move in, and we've gotten rid of the chaos that was in Rwanda. Now it's a, it's a peaceful land. I've been there to teach reconciliation and forgiveness and put that nation back together. Rwanda is a place that today, while there's still tension, is largely defined by peace. The ISIS caliphate has been driven out. It doesn't exist anymore. The, the hatred that informed it still certainly does, but, but the nations have moved. And I, I know already that they've arrested seven people in Sri Lanka, and, and national systems of justice are mightily at work to try and reduce some of that hell. And even those that were suffering today in the hell that was in Sri Lanka If they know Jesus, they will grieve the loss of their loved ones, but they will grieve with hope. And those that knew Jesus, that, that lived through the hell of that explosion, are no longer in a, a shadow of hope. They're living in the reality of it, while others are living in a different kind of reality. When Paul was writing to his friends, he just says this, this, this message that we have, this treasure that is the story of hope, it exists in what he called earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of God would be known and the power of God would be known, not in ourselves, Paul said, but that it would be known as it works in and through us because he said this, there is trouble here. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted but not forsaken. We're even struck down, Paul said, some believers already in that day and age, but we're not destroyed because you can take us out, but you're not gonna destroy the message that we have. And those of us that are alive are gonna live for Christ. And then he says, always caring about in our body, the message, if you will, of God, the dying of Jesus lives in us. It's no longer us who lives, but Christ lives in us. And so if we have power, we use it to serve people. If we have resources, we don't increase our comfort, we increase our generosity. We don't become slaves to lust. We, we abstain from them because we don't want to be people who bring destruction to others. We, he goes on to summarize in verse 12, we're going to let the death to our flesh work in us, if you will, so that life can work in you. See, that's the reason that God has left believers here who know this song on this Photoshop. And what I mean by that, the shadow of hell. Because this is not the fullness. This world is not as it should be. Do you believe the world is broken? We do. But this world has hope embedded in it. Now what's crazy is there's some people that think it's hope enough. 
There's some people that, that would say that, that, you know what, I kind of like my little earth, and Todd, you can have your little God myth if you want to, but I, I'm doing just fine, and when I die, I'm, I, I'll, just, I'll just move on and go to soul sleep. I'll live, I'll, 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 just, I'll, just, I'll eternally just be annihilated, or I'll just go back and become food for the worms. That's just my worldview, and I just want to tell you, that's fine if it's your worldview, but it doesn't mean it's true. What I'm telling you is true is that there's a man who came who said, what's true is that all men will be resurrected, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting judgment. But just like if you're a believer, okay, if you're, if you're somebody like Paul who society doesn't like you, if you're somebody like Jesus who is struck down but not destroyed, you realize that you're here in a world that has left God and gone its own way to have the dying of Christ living inside of you so that others can know the love of God. And this is your hell. This is just your moment where you're away from home with disease and death and, and war and wheelchairs and, and you go, but it's just, it's not really hell. It's, a, it's what he will say in a moment in verse 17 is a temporary and light affliction. And what we have coming is a surpassing glory far beyond anything we can imagine, believers, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. That's what the resurrection and Easter is all about, right? Because we are people of hope. This is just a, a shadow of suffering. And we don't want to focus on it. Focus on your coming hope. But those of us that are living that way, and death works in us so life can work in the life of our friends, what we mean is that we are trying to feed you in your hunger. We're trying to counsel you in your pain. We're trying to comfort you in um, the way that has seemed right to you but has ended in death. We're trying to suggest a better worldview. We're not trying to impose our ideas on you. We're trying to propose a better way. And you may not like it. You may not say, don't tell me what to do with my sexuality. Don't tell me what to do with my morality system. And you might try and strike us down. You might uh, do everything you can to... Uh, bring sorrow and sadness into our life, but we know that that's just part of the job. And what our Savior went through is what his people will probably go through. And we're not gonna lose heart because we know the end of the story. You, on the other hand, you better get all of your little Photoshopped heaven that you can because this is as good as it gets. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, this is your heaven. This brokenness, this world, this is your heaven, right? And there are some moments, let's just acknowledge there's some moments here that work out kind of well for you, right? You ever been on a beach and the sun's setting and there are your friends, you got the right beverage in your hand and the world's all as it should be? You go, man, it's a little bit of heaven. You're right, it's a little bit of heaven. But guess what? That ocean sometimes swells and it brings forth water and it runs over your fire and it floods your cities. And that... Heaven doesn't last, it's fleeting, right? Maybe you, you had family around you and you've gathered together and there's just a little bit of sanity just for a moment and, and you're getting along. The dysfunction hasn't made its way yet to your table. There's bounty and there's food, but then you get hungry again and family gets crazy like every family gets crazy. And while there was a little bit of heaven for just a moment, sure not enduring heaven always. Or how about maybe you're in that moment where you got that strong arm around you finally and there's a, a place for you to sit, or you're that strong arm and there's a, a sweet-smelling head of hair right there nestled in that little crook of your neck and, and you're no longer distressed on 
on, on Valentine's Day. You're not sad, you know, single awareness day. It's Valentine's Day. It's just, you're like, no, no, there's heaven now. I've actually got a Valentine. I'm not sad. And you're just a little bit of heaven. I'm kind of there. But then you know, right? You know that all human relationships, while they're just, they're a gift, they, they don't ultimately satisfy you. And, and often they become our biggest part of hurt because God says, until you learn to love me, you're not going to learn to love each other. And nobody can fill that God-shaped vacuum in your heart except me. Now, God's done something incredibly merciful. And that is that he has brought into our departure from him death. You go, wait, 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 that, that doesn't seem right. What do you mean God brought into our departure from him death? Well, this is what I mean. Think about the fact that um, we had an opportunity, if you will, to decide that knowing that we have left God, if you will, if God hadn't prevented us, we could have continued to choose to eat from the tree of life. So here's the story. When God created us, he didn't create us with wheelchairs and war, disease and death and divorce. In the beginning, Man lived in fellowship with God, and God just said, listen, I'm good. Everything around you testifies to the fact that I'm good. It was Edenic, and, and men walked with God, and men loved God. We were naked and unashamed because we weren't self-focused, and we enjoyed one another, and all was as it should be because God was here, and we were being saved, and perfection was being preserved through him. But he warned us. He goes, listen, you need to believe that I'm good, that I'm God, that my word is true, and that disobeying me is a really big deal. And if you ever want to say you don't love me, you could just go over there and say you want to make decisions on your own apart from me. It was represented in a tree called the tree of good and evil. You need to know that some of the things that we call evil in this world are not really the evil that God's concerned about. I mean, divorce is a bad thing, but it's not the primary sin in Scripture, right? Sexual perversion in all forms are not the primary evil. Addiction, pornography, I mean, just plug in your little favorite petty sin that you love to elevate, materialism, gossip, backbiting, anger, pride. None of those sins are the sins that bring the judgment of God on us. Those are just symptoms of the one sin, the one sin which says, God, we don't need you. We're gonna do what we wanna do when we wanna do it. We'll decide what's right and we'll decide what's wrong. We don't think you're good. We don't think your word is true. We don't think... Disobeying you is that big a deal. God says that sin brings about judgment. I mean, if God defines himself as life, and he does, and light, and he does, and love, and he does, then removing yourself from the God who is light and life and love will bring about darkness and hatred and war and death. But in knowing that we rebelled against God and we would go our own way, God, God said, okay, I'm not gonna let you live that way forever. You are going to die. Judgment will come on you. And it says in the scriptures, in Genesis 3, 24, God drove the man out. And the east, to the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed a cherubim with a flaming sword, it says, turned every direction to guard us from eating to live forever in this shadow of now hell. Why do I call it a shadow? Because God was still there. He drove us out of the perfection that submission to him brings. Here, in fact, there's an artist's rendition of that 
where, where the glory is now protected, if you will, with that angel and, 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 the, and the clothed and mercifully provided for man and woman were driven out now to go and till the earth that was now cursed and to bring forth children that were children of the curse and so it would bring sadness to future generations. But God still kept pursuing them and said, do you want your way back to Eden? Do you want to come back to me? Well, I'll make a way, but it's not going to be through your own works because you can't take on the justice and holiness of God. I'm not gonna let you live forever. I'm gonna let you experience physical death and decay. It's merciful. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't wanna live forever here. I wanna go home. And we're all going home. We're gonna go home. And when we go home, we're gonna meet this risen king because Jesus isn't dead. He's not just a story. He is alive and he has told us that he is returning quickly. In fact, at the very end of this book, we're now moving from Revelation, I mean, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22, where in the middle of that is the story of Good Friday and Easter. But Jesus says, hey, this God that is resurrected, that's alive, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render, watch this, to every man according to what he has done. I am the beginning, Genesis, I'm the end. Here's the revelation. You need to know this about me. You're going to hail me. And you're gonna acknowledge me for who I am. I'm letting you, if you want, to live in your rebellion right now. I'm letting you have a little bit of your run of the roost right now. And if you wanna drink yourself and sex yourself and delude yourself into it being enough of a heaven, that's fine. But you're gonna find out that all of those things are even my provision and grace here. And I will one day let you have what you're asking for, which is a place that you can reign where there will be nothing that will ever remind you of me again. This is what it says in John chapter five, verse 24. This is why we sang today, because John five twenty-four is true. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me and believes in the Father, it says, does not come into judgment and is passed out of death and into life. That's really, really good news. The word believe there doesn't just mean that you intellectually embrace the idea. People say what they think, but they do what they believe. The word believe there means if now you know God is good and his word is true, you run hard after him and you, you carry about in yourself now the dying of Jesus so that you can live in a way that isn't gonna earn your salvation, but that is going to show and prove that your belief that God is good is evidenced now by the way that you live. But watch what he says a little bit later in verses 28 and 29. Just a few verses down, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, this is true. Don't marvel at what I'm about to tell you here, for an hour is coming in which everyone in every tomb will hear his voice. That's everyone. And they will come forth. Now watch this. And those who did good will come forward to a resurrection of life and those who did evil to a resurrection of judgment. You're like, wow, what, what do you mean? Todd, do you mean that, 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 well, first of all, it's not Todd, it's Jesus, the one who's raised from the dead, who said he's the very God of very God. He just says, listen, yeah, yeah, you better do the works that you're supposed to do. The good news is, is right after this, some people heard Jesus say this and they go, hey, what works should we do? And in John chapter six, Jesus responds and he says this. This is the work that you should do, that you should believe in the one that he has sent, the one that is eternal and perfect and holy, that can satisfy the eternal, perfect, holy wrath of God. 
You should trust in me, Jesus says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the one that can disarm the angel and can get you back because God's justice has been satisfied if you trust in it. But if you just trust in your own good works and your own effort, that'll never save you. That'll never get the job done for you because my standard, God said, is perfection. This is not a perfect world and you're part of the imperfect problem. Just acknowledge that you're in a mess because you've left me. Receive mercy and then make mercy your song. Let me clarify this very quickly with two stories. Number one, you had to be completely asleep this week if you didn't um, notice that there was a building that was on fire across the pond, Notre Dame, the Church of Our Lady, which is a problem in and of itself. There should never be a church named after anybody or for anybody other than the one who is our salvation. But I've been there, I've been to Notre Dame, I've um, stood out in front of it, and um, Notre Dame is a, a place that, because it was built in 1163, it was um, used as a structure that people could learn from. They could see the grandeur of God and the way that it was built, and it is a beautiful building. But outside of it, there was actually um, what's called Liber Papurum which means the book of the poor. See, most of the world was illiterate at that time, and they couldn't read, and so what they did is they told stories. Here's a picture of um, an arch right when you walk into this particular facility, and you'll see a cloud of witnesses around Jesus there, and we'll hold that picture for a second, and then you look underneath Jesus, and you see a parade of people under there the left, and in a minute I'll show you the figure that's in the side. You see a parade of people on the right with a rope around them being led away, and they are telling a story to illiterate people. This is the story that was wrongly told inside that building. It's a tragedy that that building was burned, but it's not a tragedy that this theology was. This is specifically a church that was influenced out of Rome that taught that Jesus died so that you could add to what he had done and stay related to the church, and the church held the keys, and if you did what the church told you to do, they would offer you a chance to heaven. And if you didn't get enough done, you would go live in purgatory, and people could light candles and pray and give gifts to the pope and eventually spring you out of purgatory. That, my friends, is heresy, and it needs to be burned. Here's what Liber Papurum told. You zoom in on that little picture right there, and you see the archangel Michael, and he is holding a scale. On the other side of that is a representation of the enemy. And what you see is there's a group of people there that are on the left side that are praising God because the scale's tilted in their favor, not because of their faith in Christ, but because their works were enough. There is nothing in this book that says, if your works are enough, you will be sprung to heaven. What that church should have been celebrating is the fact that there is a God that has crashed into the despair of earth and made provision for sinners like me. And that an understanding that you're saved by grace through faith, that faith will be evidenced in the way you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I was sharing this with a, a friend not long ago. I was um, at a table with some friends and um, we were doing what we always do, which is you know, having a good time together and loving the people that were serving us and, and sometimes even folks that are around us. And, and our waitress um, you know, noticed the way that we were hanging out with one another and she just said, uh, you know, hey, you guys look like you know, you're having a, a good time and, and um, I appreciate even the way, I mean, it's just been fun serving you tonight. And so that gave us a chance to talk 
to her about why our relationships are different. Say, we didn't used to have this kind of fellowship. We didn't have this kind of care for one another. We didn't used to um, make the people that served us thankful, but we're so glad you are. Let me tell you, can we tell you why our lives have changed? She goes, well, sure. And so we just began to share a little bit of the story that I've been sharing with you. And she just goes, oh, no, man, I'm an atheist. And I, I said what I usually say when people said that to me. So I said, well, Darcy, why don't you tell me what kind of God you don't believe in? And I probably don't believe in him either. What kind of God don't you believe in? A God that, you, um, that would, would have a dysfunctional organization that, that would basically intimidate and hold people under a false standard of righteousness and legalism that eventually maybe they could possibly get in. And frankly, the God that is there is gonna try and rip you off and create you one way and make you do something else. Is that the God you believe in? Because that's not the God that I know. Has anybody ever told you about the God that's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ in the scripture? And I just told her. I said, he, he loves you, Darcy. And he died for my sins. He died for your sins. And you think the things that, that, that are in your life that are sinful, those aren't even the sins. Those are just the result of your rejecting the goodness of God. Has anybody ever told you about the kindness of your father? And she says, you know what? I don't have a good father. I don't have a good representation of what he was like. And she said, but at least, at least, she says, when I burn in hell, I'll be there with my friends. So what would you have said to Darcy? I'll tell you what I said. I go, oh man, sister, you're smarter than that, aren't you? See, this is your heaven, Darcy, and because it's your heaven, God's grace is a little bit at work here. And part of what God does is God in his kindness gives us friends. In fact, he's given you me right now. I'm being a friend to you. And I'm gonna tell you the truth. You know, a friend speaks the truth in love. And so let me just tell you, Darcy, there's no friends in hell. In James chapter one, verse 17, it says this, every good gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Everything from God is good. Darcy, do you think friends are good? Is that why you want to be in hell with them? Well, there's not going to be anything to remind you of your good father in hell. Hell is the place. This is what hell's like, and I said this to her. Hell is the place, Darcy, not where there's hunger and war and disease and betrayal. This is hell. It's where you're away from the presence of God and the glory of his power. And friends are part of God's glory. So is sex, Darcy. It's his gift. So are drugs, Dars. When they're sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So I don't know what your hell's gonna have, but it's not gonna have coronas and friends and campfires. You need to realize it's not gonna get better. And you know what? There's not even any death. That decay that's happening in your body, that sag in your skin that you don't like, that's God letting you know it's not working out for you. And he loves you. And so, Darcy, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, and when you die, after this comes judgment. But you need to know something. God loves you enough to take your judgment for you. That's the father you need to know. That's the story of my king. We're just trying to love each other the way he loved us, and that's why we're trying to love you. And she looked at me, and she goes, well, you just ruined my hell. <laughs> and I said, well trying to keep you out of that hell that doesn't exist. Let me commend to you, my Jesus, who will bring you into the full reality of heaven, and he can rescue you from this photoshopped image of heaven and hell that is pacifying you. See, this is not just some little game we're playing. This either happened or it didn't. It's either true or it's false. Wake us up. 
Wake us up if we're deluded. But man, let me tell you something. You better wake up and stop being deceived if it's true. Do your work to determine if this resurrection is really something that is the most verifiable fact in all of recorded history. I think it is. I've done my work, as have many atheists who sought to disprove the faith, who now follow this Jesus and hail him as king. There are two kinds of people in the world. It's not those who will be resurrected and those who won't. We're all going to be resurrected, some to life and some to judgment. The two kinds of people, those that will hail King Jesus now and say, now, God, you're good. Your will be done. And those that one day God will say to them, you didn't think I was good? Your will be done. There wasn't enough hell on earth for you? Will I maintain my grace but still let you reap what you sow? I'm going to give you all of it. But God would love to rescue you from it. God's given us this ministry. That's why we sang before you. That's why if we're believers, we're going to walk out of here. And mercy is going to be our song. And we're going to carry about in ourselves the, the, the dying of Jesus, that others may know this. And we're not going to relate to other people in a way that our flesh wants to. We're going to be people of the Spirit. And we're going to be a testimony to the kingdom of God that's coming. And we're not going to be surprised that we're not home yet because we know we're not home. And this is a Photoshop version of hell because God's restraining it. And we're going to tell people that are in some Photoshop version of heaven that there's a better heaven. And we're going to invite them in. That's what we do. And so if you're here, come. So that one day God won't say to you, your will be done. Father, I pray that there wouldn't be a single person in this room that would just trifle with the idea of the cross and the resurrection, but they would run to you in all of your glory and they would see that you love us and you provide for us and that you have done everything for us, necessary for us to be delivered from judgment. Oh, Lord, would you rescue us from some small-minded view that you're some pithy God made in our image that demands that people serve you, and if they serve you well enough, long enough, you'll accept us? No. We know, Lord, that you're holy, and you demand holy perfection, and we don't have it. But I thank you that you have given us something to sing about. One who is due all glory and honor and power, one whose name is holy, whose name is Jesus who you made sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, Father, would you let people's knee bow now in humility so they won't bow in the force of your kingship. Lord, we love you and we thank you that we get to have another Easter together that you tarried in your patience so that none should have to perish that way but would you help us play, stop playing games, singing songs, and either carry about in our bodies the death of Jesus so that others may know life, or Father, be gracious and make my little friends here who are eating, drinking merry, but tomorrow they die and face judgment, have a little bit of Photoshopped heaven before they meet the reality of their rebellion. We praise you because you're a king that loves. Help us to remind each other of that now. Amen.